reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell them, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Are you still there? Good. Well, I'm going to uh, venture into more adventurous territory with my joke today. I've, um, I've made fun of men a few times, so I'm going to attempt to redress the balance. I may live to regret it. Jones, I've just seen Joyce's face. She wasn't amused at the nine o'clock, clearly. Anyway, Jones came into the office an hour late for the third time in one week and found the boss waiting for him. What's the story this time, Jones, he asked sarcastically. Not sarcastically. Let's hear a good excuse for once. Well, Jones sighed. Well, everything went wrong this morning, boss. My wife decided to drive me to the station. She got ready in ten minutes, but then the road was closed. Rather than let you down, I swam across the river, ran out to the airport, got a ride in Alan Sugar's helicopter, Landed at Canary Wharf and was carried here, piggyback, by one of Take That. Oh, you're going to have to do better than that, Jones, said his boss, obviously disappointed. No woman can get ready in ten minutes. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, today's reading from the Bible is about an arrival. Some arrivals can be quite easy, can't they? They're quite good and they're something to be celebrated. Others are quite tricky or more demanding. And this arrival that uh, Luke describes in the Bible is it's rather a mixture of the two. But before we delve further into Luke's story, uh, I want us to watch a dramatized version of it to help us to enter into it a little bit more. This is from the BBC Passion made, gosh, it's going to be about five years ago now, I think. And as you watch it, Try to imagine that you're there, you're part of it, you're a member of the crowd. So let's watch that now. Uh. 
so then. No ordinary arrival. Now, several weeks ago, when uh, myself and uh, my family arrived at our hotel in Hong Kong, I remember being struck by the amazing nighttime view across the harbour from the hotel foyer. It was unmistakable and it was brilliant. People had said, you're going to love it, uh, but seeing it is another thing entirely. And so after dinner, we went for a stroll along the promenade, taking in the view, looking out towards Hong Kong Island uh, to the place where we were going to explore the very next day. And uh, we were getting more excited uh, with every minute. We couldn't wait to get started. That was one sort of arrival. Or yesterday, um, we were waiting to go and collect Kate from the station. She'd gone to see her sister in London. And the children were really excited. They couldn't wait. They'd not seen Kate for 24 hours. You'd have imagined it was more like a month. And um, so they were, they were desperate to see her. And we, when they, they convinced me, we pulled up in the, uh, the, the station car park. And they said, we've got to go in to, to, to fetch mummy. So I said, okay, it's very cold, but it doesn't matter. Let's go, they said. So we went in and we, we stood waiting on the platform. They were jumping up and down uh, with excitement until Ke- uh, Heather saw uh, uh, one of those carts, uh, the refreshment carts, about to be taken onto this train when it arrived. It obviously had been restocked and it was ready to go on. So she suddenly spotted this, and she said, Oh, Daddy, could I have a snack? (laughs) I left it to the others to point out that actually uh, that wasn't a place where you bought snacks, that was for going on the train. And then the cry when Kate stepped off the train, it was brilliant, uh, because they were thrilled to, to see her. No ordinary arrival again. Well, today we've heard words from the Bible that for most of us will be incredibly Familiar. They almost um, don't sink in. The, the impact of them, uh, you know, we lose that to some degree because they are so familiar. But the part of Luke's gospel story that we've heard tells of this arrival, Jesus' triumphant arrival in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus and his fellow Passover pilgrims, they've been on what can only be described as an epic journey across country. And as we join the story, they reach the top of the hill called the Mount of Olives. The chatter of the pilgrims must have intensified as they realized that this incredible journey was nearing its conclusion. The heat must have taken its toll, but now they move from barren desert into the lush green slopes of spring, a little bit like just outside the windows here. The writer Luke manages to paint an excellent picture with his words, one that enables us to enter into the events as if we ourselves were pilgrims accompanying Jesus on this journey into the city and beyond then to the cross. Luke wants us to recognize that this is a royal occasion. Now, I don't know if you saw that wonderful program from a couple of weeks ago on the TV called Our Queen. I think it was called Our Queen. Did anybody see that? But it was really good. Uh, Kate and I managed to watch it in about 10 eight-minute episodes uh, when we snatched a bit of time uh, here and there. But it was very good. And uh, we enjoyed it because it followed the Queen throughout last year. And it was a good year to follow the Queen because there was many, many royal occasions uh, worth accompanying her on. Not least a number of key state banquets. Each event was carefully planned and staged. Tables carefully laid 
to the millimeter, a little bit like at the gathering at Christmas, uh, with those wonderfully laid tables that we have. Seating plans arranged you know, meticulously, menus prepared. Well, the royal occasion that Luke describes is about as different as it possibly can get from all of that. But nevertheless, it's still a royal occasion, and it's carefully staged and carefully planned, because Jesus wants to make exactly the right point. The mode of transport chosen for his royal procession, well, it's not a state carriage, it's not a gleaming Bentley, but a donkey's colt. Now, to describe this animal, Luke uses the same word used by the prophet Zechariah when describing the coming Messiah riding on a young donkey. Listen to his words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Luke doesn't want his readers, or us, to miss this important link. Jesus is the gentle, righteous, and salvation-bringing king. Because look, he's coming riding on a donkey, just as the prophet foretold. And the disciples and the other followers of Jesus, they catch on. This royal theme uh, quickly takes hold of them. They grasp it. And they join in enthusiastically. They spread their cloaks on the road in front of him. And then down they travel from the Mount of Olives, descending all the while. And the crowds start to sing as they go, like Christians used to do on the March for Jesus. Can you remember that? The March for Jesus. Did you go on the March for Jesus, any of you? Yeah. But here the crowd wasn't singing a Graham Kendrick classic. He hadn't quite started to write back then. Uh, although he has been writing a long time, hasn't he? Wonderful, wonderful Graham. Instead, they chose a psalm records number by that well-known worship leader, King David. Psalm 118 was their song of choice. It was a song that pilgrims always sang on the way to Jerusalem. A song of victory. A song of praise to the God who defeats all, every single one of his enemies, and builds his kingdom. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The message is clear. Here comes the king, but no ordinary king. Not a king of terrifying physical force or overwhelming wealth. An unexpected king, gentle and riding on a donkey. And so Jesus comes as a fulfillment of all his people's hopes, answering their aching desire for a king who would bring the peace of God here, on earth. But King Jesus' arrival demonstrates that he's not at all the sort of king that they'd imagined. And as we look more at Luke's picture and journey further with Jesus, we hear the grumblers too. They're still there. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I have. Maybe it goes with the territory of being a vicar. But grumblers are never far from Jesus. Here, it's the Pharisees who are going along with the crowd. And they suddenly get twitchy because they realize what might happen if the Roman authorities get wind of this uh, extraordinary demonstration, a royal demonstration with messianic proportions. 
And you can understand their unease. Jesus knows. And Luke knows. And we all know. What awaits the newly arrived king. When he finally gets to the city. And it's not pretty. And of course that's precisely why. Jesus puts on this royal parade. This celebration is required. Because it shows that Jesus is coming to bring. God's salvation through the giving of himself on the cross. The journey of the donkey hints at a far more demanding journey. A journey not into the city, but out of it, towards the place called the skull. A journey of self-sacrifice and death, because this king was born to die. But at the moment... The crowd knows nothing of this. The significance of it passes them by completely because they expect other things from Jesus, other things entirely. And if they had realized, then they would be confused and anxious, which is precisely what they do become in just a matter of days. And so thanks to Luke, we experience this extraordinary royal occasion as his readers, we experience it as pilgrims along the way. And as we follow Jesus into Jerusalem, a number of questions present themselves, and I think they're quite challenging ones. They certainly have been for me. Are we just going along with Jesus for the trip in the hope that he will fulfill our hopes and dreams? In other words, do we just want to get something out of it? Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise, but only as long as Jesus does what we want. Things to suit us. There's no doubt that the long and often desert-like road of our lives gives us plenty of time and plenty of opportunity to sort out our motives for following Jesus. That's certainly been my experience, and no doubt that will continue into the future. But are we ready not just to do the easy, showy, and gratifying thing of throwing our cloaks out in front of Jesus, but to follow him into controversy, trouble, and even death. This is the way that Jesus calls us to go. This is the path that he wants us to follow. But all too often, we want the easy route. We want to spend our whole time spreading our cloaks for Jesus, Staying in the good times, getting a spiritual buzz, the worship high, the everything is all right feeling. We want Jesus to keep on arriving in Jerusalem like a DVD stuck on a loop. And this puts pressure on the church because we want to keep on providing opportunities for this to happen. And if it doesn't, then the sad thing is that we, we go in search of it in other places. We go wanting to find other ways and other people and other things that will satisfy our spiritual urges. And we do it in all sorts of ways. I think there's great pressure on the church at the moment to provide spiritual gratification. Maybe it's something of our culture seeping in. And there's something very dangerous about this, I think. Because the moment the things get tough or difficult or demanding, 
then we go in search of a more satisfying route through life. And yet Jesus calls us to follow him on the difficult and demanding path to the cross, to be pilgrims of self-sacrifice, not gratification. We are to give, not get. It's as simple and as difficult as that. And as pilgrims on the road to Jesus, how does this challenge you and me? What situations are you and I facing where we want to get something out of others, out of work, out of our relationships, out of the church, out of your church ministry or leadership? Because instead, Jesus is calling you and me to give as a mark of self-sacrifice, as a way of helping others to be pilgrims with Jesus on the way of the cross, as a way of enabling others to experience that self-giving love of Christ. But I think a lot of us are stuck in a Palm Sunday loop, coming to church to lay down our cloaks, to sing a song of victory, to say our prayers, to welcome the unexpected Messiah. We're all okay, we're happy with that bit. But Jesus calls us to journey with him much, much, much further than that. For followers of Christ, the praise of Palm Sunday always leads to the self-giving of Good Friday. Taking on demanding roles and responsibilities. Making a difference in the church through sheer grit and determination. Playing your part in the life of the church instead of just turning up to consume what other people provide for you. Doing your best through the love that you're able to share in your difficult family situation. Hanging on in your workplace, trusting that God's at work for good. Diligently praying and praying and praying into that struggle that you're facing. This is the way of the one who comes riding on a donkey. This is the way of the Messiah. And we're called to go with him as pilgrims on a journey of self-sacrifice. But will you? Are you prepared to? It breaks my heart, as many of you will know, to see people avoiding following Jesus beyond, beyond Palm Sunday into the way of sacrifice. I'm not saying I've got it all wrapped up at all by any stretch of the imagination. But if we're serious about being pilgrims with Jesus, then there is no other route to take. There's no way around it. But having said that, there is something incredibly encouraging. All we have to do is follow the one who's walked the way of the cross already and who now promises to walk it again with us. Jesus made the greatest sacrifice of all, so that we can give of ourselves for him. He gave himself in love, so that we are free to give ourselves in love. He went before us on the way of the cross, to show us that the way of self-giving, actually, and wonderfully, and miraculously, leads to life in all its fullness. It's only in giving our lives, like Jesus, that we receive life with purpose, meaning, hope, and a limitless future. It's worth doing. Amen.